Welcome to Coming Out and Beyond. This is a show about LGBTQIA plus stories. I am your host, Amory Zanzel, and I am a late bloomer to the queer world, and I work with people coming out later in life. I provide both coaching and mutual support groups. I have many different labels, including, but not limited to, queer, lesbian mom, daughter, sister, friend, minister, and fiance to my lovely partner, photographer, Tonda McKay. I passionately believe in the power of storytelling to change the world. In the telling of our stories, we often can help another person to hear their own. Today, my guest is the fabulous Andrea Hewitt, who came out at the age of 44 after having two children and being married to two different men. Finding, any few, finding very few resources for people coming out later in life, she created the website A Late Life Lesbian Story in 2015 and created a Facebook support group in 2016 that grew to over 2,000 folks worldwide. She lives in Nashville, Tennessee with her wife, Rachel, and owns a doula agency. Hi, Andrea. It's so nice to have you. Thanks for having me, Anne-Marie. I'm so excited to talk talk on your um, web series. It's, wow. it's my honor. So tell me your story, honey. <laughs> story. Gosh, the story. Um, my story, you know, it's interesting because uh, many times coming out later in life, we get the question, when did you know? When did you know? And the way I always answer that story is I both knew my whole life. And I also didn't know, and I, you know, really knew later on. And so I think I'm, you know, uh, by training, I'm a word person and I'm always fascinated by language. And I know we're going to talk later about labels, which is one of my favorite conversations to have, because I think words have so much power. So that word knowing, I always like love thinking about the knowing of, mm -hmm. you know, who you are, because that's what this is all about. And, you know, my story starts when um, I was growing up in the 70s and 80s in small town Mississippi, which is not known even today for being a shoe child. <laughs> very queer friendly. Bless her heart. So exactly. As we say in the South, bless my heart. You know, I adore being from Mississippi. That's what I tell people. It's a lovely place in some ways, and it's a very challenging place in other ways. I'm glad I don't, I don't live there anymore, but I have deep roots there. But, you know, as a child growing up, um, I felt at different points in my life, these different kind of, I would call them glimmers of, wait a minute, I'm not vibing with what people want me to do here. But as somebody who was the firstborn and very much a rule follower, I kind of like got in line with what was expected of me, which was that I would, you know, grow up, and I would marry someone and I wanted to have children very, very badly. So I did not see any um, pathway for my life other than that. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. Um, but again, glimmers here and there, sort of knowings kind of my whole life in different ways, you know, throughout my life. Um, I think you, I told you used, used to go to lesbian gatherings. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And that was after I was married. Yeah. No, I mean, I think I've told the story before of my mom finding a cosmopolitan magazine in my closet when I was six years old. And if, you know, there's some people listening who don't know, like back in the seventies, the cosmopolitan, they always had like this beautiful lady yeah, on the front woman in the it was yeah. super hot and it wasn't playboy, but it was close. Right. It was always very suggestive. And here I was like a six or seven year old. And I'm sure I saw this magazine on my mom's like bedside table and thought, swipe that's cool I'm swiping that and my mom found it in my closet because I didn't know I had no words for gay or any of that queer none of that but I just knew I loved this woman she was beautiful and I wanted to look at her and I knew it was something I needed to do in private because um 
this was not good, right? And mm -hmm. so when she found the magazine in my closet, I remember her going, why is this magazine here? You know, and it, she wasn't mad at me. She was just kind of like puzzled. And I just remember for the first time feeling like such like shame about who I was because mm -hmm. I had no answer for her. So I think she probably just thought it was weird. Like, why does a six-year-old have a Cosmo in her closet <laughs> and took it back? And, you know, we never discussed it, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, through my, you know, two marriages that I had and I had my two kiddos, there were lots of glimmers, right? There were times um, when it just sort of broke through that I was like, you know, you love women. And when I was probably in my thirties was when I came out as bisexual at first, because I mm -hmm. found that word. I, I didn't know that word. I didn't know it existed. Um, and when I found that word, I thought to myself, well, I can't be a lesbian because I've been married to a man. So clearly that's off the table, but this option looks like it might fit. So I'm going to claim this label as bisexual mm -hmm. and that's going to be my label, um, which I, I did in a way, I would say I put my toe out of the closet that way. I came out as bisexual to a handful of people and got a lot of different reactions. Some of them not so great. Mm -hmm. especially from my mom, who's, you know, a very supportive person in my life now. But at that time, you know, 20 years ago, she was very confused still and didn't really know how to take this mm -hmm. and wasn't quite ready to accept my then girlfriend. And so because of that, I pretty much went back into the closet and got married to another man um, because I thought, you know, this is too hard. I was also really scared at that time. This would have been like the 90s, early 2000s. And my children, I was divorced from my first husband, their dad. And I was really concerned in Mississippi about losing custody of my children. Mm -hmm. uh, even though he never explicitly said that, I just felt that pressure from the culture and was like, I'm not going to do this. I can't mm -hmm. do this now, you know? Mm -hmm. So what happened to me, fast forward, um, my oldest child um, graduated from high school. I just had my, my younger child uh, in, in the home and things were kind of breaking down in lots of ways with that second marriage because it was obviously not a good thing, <laughs> not, a, not a right fit. And I had found um, uh, in terms of spirituality, I had found a lot of um, solace in learning how to meditate with a Buddhist group. Mm -hmm. And so I was literally sitting in a meditation hall with a bunch of other people and I had probably been meditating with them for like six months. Right. And so we, we would always have a time, we would have like a 30 minute meditation and we'd have a break and then we'd have another 30 minutes. And so it usually took me that whole first 30 minutes to kind of settle my mind, to kind of get into the right kind of like rhythm that I wanted to for my meditation. And there was a statue of the Buddha that we kind of like, you know, I don't want to go deep into Buddhism, but Buddha's, you know, it's not like we worship Buddha as a God, but Buddha's like a focus, you know, it's mm -hmm. like a scene, it's like a great teacher. Right. And so I'm sitting there, we come back from the break, I'm sitting down, this is all in silence, remember? And I look straight at the Buddha and I just said, okay, Buddha, what you got for me this time? Kind of in a joking kind of way. And I heard a voice that sounded like it was someone sitting next to me so loudly that I turned because I thought someone's speaking to me. And the voice said to me, and I of course realized now it came from within me, but it said, well, you're gay. So what are you going to do about it? And then she dinged the bell and I'm sitting there and I'm literally feel like I'm trapped. It's like, I'm in a, in a, in a scary way, but also in a good way. It's like, okay, you're going to now sit for 30 minutes in silence with all these people with this voice who's told you this truth about yourself and you can't move. And I was just absolutely transformed by that. It was like my true self had told me this 
it's like I've been trying to tell you this for however many years, but okay, you asked for it, here it is. And I sat there for 30 minutes and I'm sure I cried um, kind of silently. And then when I left, I knew that I could no longer suppress this. And probably within a week, I told my then husband I was married to that I was a lesbian mm-hmm. and that I needed, we needed to end our marriage. And I started telling people around me and I fully claimed that label. And that's, mm-hmm. that's my story kind of in a nutshell. Yeah. Well, but then there's an addendum. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always addenda. <laughs> well, yeah, there's, there's about six addendums here. Because okay. it, it didn't, yeah, it didn't end there. I mean, so that was when I was 44. Um, that happened. So that was 10 years after I'd come out as bisexual, kind of sort of with my toe out of the closet. Um, yeah. So what happened after that, when I did come out, um, I'm the kind of person I'm pretty extroverted and I love to network and I love to research. And I did, I started like, okay, well, coming out later in life, let me see what's out there on the internet, you know, because this would have been like 2011, 2012. And I really found nothing. I found like one or two little pockets of information about specifically women coming out later in life. All the stuff was about teenagers, like how to come out to your parents and how to come out you know, to your family or your church or, you know, none of it resonated with me. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, huh, well, here's a need. Cause at at first I really did think I was the only woman who'd ever done this before. Well, a lot of people feel that. Oh yeah, totally. And then I think I actually read, cause I was right around the time Shelly Wright, the country star wrote her book Mm -hmm. um, about coming out. And I read that book and that was like, wow. And then I did find a website where I found more resources and I read a book called Dear Jane, dear John. I love Jane. I I love Jane. Thank you. And so those were other stories of women coming out. So I was like, okay, I'm not the only one. So certainly there's more stuff out there. Didn't find it. So fast forward uh, a couple of years, I realized this is a real need in our community. And Mm -hmm. so without any kind of real training or background at all in this, I started writing a blog called a late life lesbian story. And through the blog, I kind of without going into all the details, wound my way around to thinking that we needed to have a support group that was a safe, private place for people to talk about this. Because the other kind of big support page was public and people would post anonymously. And I knew, just like you talked about, that sharing the stories was what was going to make people feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And in order to really share yourself, you needed to be yourself, you know, that you couldn't just be anonymous because, and plus just to have all that out on the internet, it just felt kind of scary to me. So that's when we started this, I figured out how to do a secret Facebook group and started the Facebook group in 2016 with like maybe 50 folks Mm -hmm. um, that had kind of like messaged me from the website. And then it just grew. I mean, it was, uh, you know, a process to get people in. So it wasn't like you could just get on Facebook and search like Life Lesbian and find us. Um, But through the blog and through people telling other people about it, we, Mm -hmm. as you know, we grew to over 2000 people worldwide uh, after doing that for five years. And the thing that was the most amazing to me, as you'll know, because my wife, Rachel, always teases me about this is I had no idea if you put like, 50 or a hundred or a thousand lesbians together that they would like start making yeah they start hooking up so the first time that I mean it literally took a week for that first hookup to happen and it was it was like transcontinental we had somebody in Maine and somebody in California hooking up like literally they found a way like within a week to buy a plane ticket and hook up and I turned to Rachel I was like what the heck we're not a dating site and she looked at me and she said Andrea 
you go put 50 lesbians together who have never been with a woman, they're going to like start hooking up. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So then that became a thing. It really kind of became, you know, it took off. I, you know, that's how we met. That is how I Googled. I'm one of those people took a long time to come out. took me 10 years. And the the third time was the charm. And what I did differently the third time was I Googled late in life lesbian. Mm-hmm. And you, your blog showed up, mm-hmm. and true to form, I saw the blog and waited two months. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> which I know a lot of people do. Like yeah. it's like almost like I think that we get so afraid to open the door that it like opening the door is the first time. Oh, but, absolutely. But when I and I was like maybe 150th, you know, you were pretty new still at the time yeah. around there. But it was so significant to me because all of a sudden I had a group of women that were talking about things that I thought I was the only person, like I could, I tried like you, I tried to find things. Like I went to a later in life support group in that, at at a local LGBTQ center, you know, and it was okay, but it was also really clicky and everybody knew each other. And so it was so nice to join a group where all of a sudden everybody's talking about the same thing and yeah. it was like oh my god yeah here's I, my people <laughs> yeah. yeah and it was it was yeah. like oh my god there's my people and there's people that understand this and it was like it was truly life-giving yeah you know you know and i and like the thing is is that i've run support groups now on facebook for a while and i, I really give you and rachel a lot of kudos it is really hard to do it's hard to do for a long time, especially a group where people's emotions are so incredibly through the roof. Yeah. And because people are grieving. Yes. People are overwhelmed. Yeah. And you guys did it pretty well for five <laughs> years. And then you said, I think, what? Yeah. I'm Retired. tired. That's okay. <laughs> well, it was, I mean, it was, a, I always said it was a labor of love and I truly because I mean, as you know, Anne-Marie, these emails I would get from folks just would sure. break, my, break my heart, you know, and I felt so much, I felt very responsible for caretaking the group and making sure it was a safe place. And we had very, as you know, very rigid rules about things in that group because we wanted to keep it a safe place. And, you know, Rachel and I always said, whenever any kind of conflict would arise, we would always go back to our core basic principle, which is, are we serving women, mostly women, it did end up becoming a place for folks who were exploring gender identity and and other things, but it started off at least as women coming out later in life, like is whatever we're doing serving that purpose. And if it wasn't, then we stopped it, you know, but if it was, then we tried to build that up. And as you know, we then started having, you know, in-person conferences because we wanted people because they wanted to meet each other. So we did a couple of those in Nashville, which were all wildly successful. Um, and, you know, we thought about continuing on, but both Rachel and I worked for ourselves and my doula agency got super busy and it just became a point where I had to make a choice, you know, uh, of what to do. And it was a hard choice, but I felt very um, responsible to the folks who had put their trust in us. And that's why we ended up closing the group rather than handing it off to someone because with our group and the name and the reputation, I really wanted it to have an ending rather than having it morph into something different um, that we, you know, couldn't have anything to do with anymore, you know. Well, and it's, it's really hard to hand your baby off to somebody else. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, and I, and I know how much hours and hours, I mean, yeah, 
I know. <laughs> we I know. both have done the same thing. So yeah. I know how, how much work it is and how thoughtful you all were. And I completely understand about wanting to end it rather than handing it off to somebody else because things do morph and change. And I think it would have been hard for you all. And it, even people that were like longtime members of the group to yeah. see it change to yes. sure. something else. Yeah, you know? I mean, there's no way a group of 50 and a group of 2000 can be the same group. It's just a different, a different experience. But you know, I, I look back on it with absolute fondness. There are friends like I made like you and other folks who I mean, we have friends across the world and, and that and knowing that we helped people, you know, I'm a helper at heart. And so knowing that we gave solace and a safe place to land and great resources and affirmation to people going through this. It, it fills me up every time I think of it. So well, I'm, yeah, what, what happened is what what I think these group, your group and other groups mm -hmm. and other people that work in this genre, <laughs> they normalize the experience. Yeah, that's what we all do. We're like, you know, um, they're like you and I to prepare for this, we're going to talk about like five things that the same things that come up again and again. <laughs> yeah. But the reasons why it comes up again and again, it's very normal in LGBTQ development yes. to have these questions. So if you go and look at a developmental model for someone who's coming out gay, whether you're 15 or 55, the process is the same. And so what ends up happening is you get the same questions over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, so. absolutely. And so, yeah, as you know, in our group, we kind of got to the point where, you know, it was like, oh, there's the labels question again. Well, we had that last month. Here we go again, you know. Mm -hmm. And so we did have like some resources that we'd like point them to. Like, I know you have resources on your website and other places where we'd be like, go find the answer here. And we had some posts that we had kind of pinned so people could get that information. Mm -hmm. But it is, I mean, like you said, when you're, when you're in the middle of a life crisis, it's really nice to have everything kind of packaged up for you. And that's why I think like the services and the groups that you provide now are so amazing because it's like, here it is. Here's somebody who gets you. Here's somebody who can help you. Here are folks who've been on this path before. And here are role models for you to say like, hey, they did it so I can do it too. And that's just, you know, like you said, human beings uh, make, you know, meaning out of their lives by telling stories and having their stories shared. And I just think that's so, so important. You know, speaking of that, you know, at our very first conference we did, you know, me being like, type A planner person, I was like, and here's our agenda and here's what we're doing. And then when we got into it, one of the first things we did was have them share their stories. And I think I had allotted like 30 minutes for that. And it was clear that nobody wanted to do anything <laughs> but share the stories. Right. And I remember asking Rachel, I was like, you think we're okay? She said, Andrea, let them talk. She said, let them keep, that's what they want to do. And mm -hmm. we did it. And mm -hmm. we just, they talked and talked and talked. Well, it's really interesting because I modeled my groups after that. And and it's so funny because they've sort of evolved because with my groups, like, you know, I have my, my groups are small. They're six to eight people. They're pretty small. They stay together for anywhere from eight weeks to 16 weeks, depending on the group. And um, I have everybody share their story. And in the first meeting, we would share our story. Well, that that takes the whole hour and a half, you know, okay. and, and, you know, but then Andrea had a wonderful trick, which she did, I think the second time around is you had, you told your story to somebody else. Yes. So now with Zoom, I put them in their breakout rooms. Nice. And they, but the nice thing is, is that, you know, they get to meet another woman yeah. who's going through the, the exact same thing. And most of the people that I have that's joined my groups in the beginning identify as women. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, they have another woman to talk to that 
um, gets it. And like, and they're always so, it's so sweet because they're like, oh my gosh, they, like, yeah, I know. Like, oh, <laughs> they have the I same know. story. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I know. I know. And sometimes I know people's stories. So yeah. I'll place them in groups where they can really connect with somebody. Oh, that's so lovely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so. that's, you know, it's funny because I do some training and presentations about, you know, in my work as a birth worker about helping um, LGBTQIA plus clients in that birth space. And what I always tell folks is we're people too. We want what everybody else wants. We want to be connected. We want to be seen. We want to be empowered. We want to be valued. We want to be respected. I mean, that's, that's it. That's what you're talking about. Well, and I think the sharing of the story with another person is the first time that often people are seen for exact, for something that they have either just discovered or something they've sort of known their whole life, but have never shown it to anyone. And so that's the power of being seen. Sharing these stories is about the power of being seen and about people knowing that, you know, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> You're not the only one. Andrea and I get it. Believe me. We oh, get yeah. it. So, Absolutely. so I remember, we're going yeah. to, no, I was just going to say, I remember just being just crying on the phone like I can't be gay you know to a friend that I was like you know talking to and I mean in, in my mind it feels like so long ago but it really wasn't that long ago that I felt that way you know mm -hmm. so it's always amazing to see the progress you make that way yeah. mm -hmm. and and I think these groups um, and there's lot, lots of small groups all over the place and big groups do a lot of they really help people yeah. and what one before we get to our discussion what I have noticed because I'm in, in a lot of the other um, lesbian spaces that are not connected with coming out later in life. Mm -hmm. um, since the work you started and others before you, oh, yeah. um, I noticed that the spaces are much more friendlier towards people oh. coming out later in life. I Thank really you. do know, like people, there's like you know, like back back in the day, Andrea, <laughs> five or six years ago, you I would be really you know if you said that you could get some pushback. Oh, yeah. from people and now I find that that push up back doesn't happen as much oh, but Anne Marie does that make you feel good it's like we had a part in making that better you know? yeah yeah it does make me feel good because you know really my mission is really is to serve the later in life community but also to normalize this experience and let people know they can come out whenever they want to absolutely you now you can come absolutely. out at 80 you can come out at 10 absolutely. <laughs> okay. there's nothing wrong with it so yes Yes. Yep. So since you and I have facilitated for these groups for a while, Andrea and I, we've came, come up with like the five most, like five common questions that keep circling around. Yep. So <laughs> the first one I'm going to talk about is how do I take care of my husband during this divorce? And what do we want to answer, Andrea? Don't. <laughs> Don't. You can't. And why? Yeah. Say some more about that. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. So it's it's so difficult because, you know, we kind of found, and Amory, you know this, as we asked these questions kind of, you know, over and over again in our group over the years, and it, it's almost like in some ways there's like a type of person, a woman who comes out later in life. Usually she's a high achiever. Mm -hmm. um, usually she is, <coughs> excuse me, she's played by the rules. Um, so she kind of, of, of often comes from a chaotic childhood. 
Yep. And there's sometimes some kind of trauma or something going on in the background. Mm -hmm. So she's going to play by the rules and it's all going to work out. Right. And of course she wants to be safe (laughs) and she wants to be safe. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so she's going to follow these rules. And so what happens in the divorce process, typically these are caretaker folks who are used to taking care of everyone and they're trying to caretake a husband. And what they need to realize is they need to take all that caretaking energy and focus it on themselves. And it's sometimes the very first time they've ever done that in their lives. It feels like putting on a, a, a suit of clothing that does not fit well at first. It feels weird and strange and, um, and a lot of times people feel like a bad, I'm, I'm doing quotation a marks, bad, bad, a bad person. Bad person. Yep. Because bad. they're so used to doing that external caretaking that they've never stopped to think that I, the person I need to take care of the most is me. Right. And that feels selfish. And we get a lot of, you know, societal cues for women in general about, you know, it's selfish to take care of yourself and it's selfish to do this and it's selfish to want whatever. Um, the, the most loving thing you can do for your husband, if you're having a, a, a happy kind of loving kind of divorce is to encourage them to find their support wherever that needs to be. So either friends, family, uh, therapists, um, they need to vent and they need to process elsewhere, not with you. And you can't, and honestly, you cannot do, you cannot go through a divorce. Nope. You cannot go through a coming out process and a divorce and take care of everybody around you. No. It's, I think the only thing, the reserves you have to keep are for yourself. And for those of us with children, yep. a lot of that reserves. But I want to piggyback on this. Mm-hmm. I Okay. I am destroying my children's lives. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's another. Yeah. Okay, so that's that, I actually just added, <laughs> added that one. But yeah. You're not. No, you're not. Because you're modeling, again, you're modeling for them what was not modeled for you, which is caretaking for yourself. In other words, there is such value in showing them that it is okay. And in fact, it is normal, as you say, to um, be, be your whole self and bring your whole self to your parenting, right? right. And, and we're not saying that to say that it's going to be easy. As you know, mm-hmm. Amarino, she is, her children have all different responses. I know for, you know, for and Andrea and I, we both share the fact that our youngest child lived with the other, or the other parent. They live yep. with their dads. So we ended up being, we ended up not being the custodial parent a lot sooner right. than we ever planned. <laughs> right. And it was hard. It was really hard. It is hard because again, the society tells you you're a bad mom. Why mm-hmm. did you let your child go live with their dad? You know, it's a, mm-hmm. and it just happened in both of our situations that it was something our children wanted. And it worked out. And that mm-hmm. was just the, the facts of it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's just, you know, so much mom guilt out there anyway. This just kind of bleeds on over into all of this, you know. Well, and, and also, too, um, I find that um, kids need happy parents. Yes. They really need. And they also, like, when we talk about am I destroying my family, it's also no, you're teaching your children not to stay in unhappy places because I know most of the women that are mothers out there and 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 some dads too, obviously, um, want their kid would never want their kids to suffer in the way that they've suffered to stay in a marriage. Oftentimes, that's that had problems way before. Oftentimes, these marriage our marriages have had problems way before the fact that one day. That's sort of 
for some of us, it's the impetus. It's what gets us, what makes us strong or brave enough to leave the marriage. Yeah. We realize we have, we can't stay. Like yeah. That. Yeah. No, absolutely. For sure. Yep. So Andrea, how do you know if you're gay or not? <laughs> <laughs> well, as we used to say famously in our, um, our group, we say straight girls don't stay up at night wondering if they're gay. Yeah, they don't. Pretty much like kind of almost always true. <laughs> you know? If you're Googling late in life lesbian at night. My gay. Yeah. Am you're, I? You're not. I use not straight because. Not straight, yes. Because yes. we're going to get to the labels. But yeah. I use not straight with people because oftentimes people really struggle with the labels. Yes. And so I use not straight because yep. that's easier. Yes, absolutely. Um, Yeah. But I mean, I think, you know, what I will say to that is kind of like talking about my story. I think we all have our internal knowing, and I think we are ready to accept truths when we are ready and you can't force it. You know, that's mm -hmm. what I'll say about that. And also too, I will say that it's a back and forth process. Um, I remember being in a relationship with my now fiance for eight months and nine months into the relationship had been exclusive everything and still wondering if I was yeah. straight yeah and I also believe true also too that I, I in cognitive dissonance and um when you know I'll use a very easy example of like smoking you know you get all the information that smoking's not good for you but you still smoke anyway it's like cognitive dissonance is when we come out, you get all this information to you. Like a lot of, a lot of us do a lot of self-reflection after we come out yeah. and all of a sudden our brain goes, oh, 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 you know, <laughs> like the brain kicks in and you're like, oh, yeah. You know, I was getting all these messages that I wasn't straight, but I was going to stay on that straight path because that's what I was told to do. And I really do believe that's why this can be an extraordinarily painful thing for us because we're so thinking that we have to stay on this straight path and to go off of it, even though we have all these clues telling us we're not straight is really, it's like, it, like, it almost like your brain has to slowly get used to the idea, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And I know you and I have talked a lot about in, in these groups and other ways about it internalized homophobia. And I think mm -hmm. that was one of the things that surprised me the most personally, you know, here I am, I feel very much like a progressive person in my sort of life and my politics and had many, many gay friends. As Amory said, I used to go hang out at mm -hmm. festivals with lesbians. I was like, of course, I'm the most like, you know, I can handle all of this and I'm accepting of all except for me. Right. Yeah, and, and I was totally shocked that I had homophobia in me at all. And it, it, it definitely came out, you know, cause I was very much kind of hard on myself at first. And I thought, well, just like you said, I've got all these signs, but Oh, surely I can't be gay. Like, and that is what homophobia is, is right. saying that is a less than identity and it's not. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, and, and I piggyback on that. I always say it's like, you know, oftentimes the later in life community are the biggest allies in the world. Yeah. We have, you know, we've yeah. donated to causes. We often yep. have their kids. Yep. Um, and, and the only person that can't be gay is, is us. Yeah. Exactly. I can't be gay, but anybody else support you? <laughs> I know. Can I marry you? Can I give you a mom hug? I'll right. do whatever. But, you know, it's really, right. that's, that's the thing is yeah. that the internalized homophobia is a, and I do find the one thing I do find about our community is oftentimes they really engage that. 
and they try to really work through it, which I think yeah. because they're overachiever, because we're all overachiever. And so we're going to figure this out. And you know, it's funny, I had a, a group last night and um, one of the members of the group who is an academic in gender and queer studies and is just coming out, um, uh, they were saying that they were surprised they were at a, um, a, a party, a party and um, was with all their straight mommy friends and daddy friends. And they were like, all of a sudden had, oh my, oh my God, I'm gonna have to tell these people I'm gay. And I mean, they live in progressive academia, but it, like even, even somebody like that, who's a wonderful ally and teaches about this stuff, all of a yep. sudden realized, oh, I'm gonna have to tell these people. I'm gonna have to show yeah. up sometime with yeah. my girlfriend, <laughs> you know? And it like struck fear in her. Yeah. Well, and that's a good point too. You know, a lot of people think coming out is a one-time event when it's not, it's a lifelong event. You always are negotiating um, just what that person was negotiating, which is how and when do I come out to people? Um, you know, as we talked about before, if you have a partner or a wife, it's easy because you can slip their name in and that's kind of like a fast, easy way to come out if, if you're feeling that. But I mean, there's absolutely places where I would feel very weird coming out um, yeah. here, especially to, living in the South. So. Yeah, you have to really think about it, you know, and, and, and as Andrea and I have both lived in, you know, had the um, privilege of being white cisgendered women married to men we really under you know it's really a, it's really losing some of that and like having to think about your safety although women always have to think about their safety yep. but having to think of another layer of exactly. safety absolutely you know, which you never like it's it's very odd at first it, it is, is very odd, odd. <laughs> yeah. yes all right another <laughs> conversation people love to have is about labels this is, again, one of my favorite conversations just because I love words so much. Um, and what I learned over the years uh, writing the blog and running the group is that this is a perennial favorite. People are get concerned about which label to choose. They worry about the labels. And then they're the folks who like eschew all labels and say, I don't want a label at all. And, you know, for me personally, I, I can I can embrace all of that um, for me owning a label was very empowering. So again, as part of my story, I thought I could not have the label lesbian, uh, you know, 20 years ago, because I thought since I had- Oh, you had stuff with a man, so you can't be a lesbian. Can't be a lesbian. Um, so for me, um, owning that label was super important. I mean, I had all these little tricks and things that I had in my kind of like daily life to sort of own that label. And it, you know, cause at first it felt strange to own that label. And then I just, it was just like anything else, repetitive, repetitive. And then I'm very proud to be a lesbian now. And so my labels personally are lesbian and queer um, when it comes to that. Queer is an interesting one, you know, because that's been a label, a, a slur that was reclaimed. So there are a lot of folks who I know, who, especially who are older, who don't like that label because they still associate it with that slur. Mm -hmm. But as you know, younger people love queer because it's kind of an umbrella term that kind of covers all sorts of identities. And it kind of is a shorthand for us to call, you know, our community, the queer community. And that sort of includes a lot of, of folks that way. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I personally think labels have power. Um, and I think they have a power to claim mm -hmm. a space for yourself. 
And so if that resonates with you, I encourage people to try different labels on, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and to know too, that you might grow into or out of labels, you know, and that right. might be part of your journey and that's okay. Like I grew out of the label bisexual. It did not describe me well anymore and grew into my label as a lesbian. And again, if you're someone who says no to all labels and you're like, I transcend labels, I'm like, you do you. That is awesome. I like commend you for that. You know, mm -hmm. you do not need to have a label to be a gay person, you know. Well, and I think that as a newbie, or not straight person. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, as a newbie in the community, what I was really, what really struck me is the, the conversation around labels. I was really like, I was really sort of surprised that there were so many labels and that um, people felt so passionately about them. Um, and also too, a lot of my work is a lot of women also really reject the lesbian label. It is like the most and unpopular word <laughs> sometimes, but that's because it has also been used as a slur. And so a lot of women are very, un, a lot of people are very uncomfortable with that, with the lesbian word. But as you know, I live with the ultimate lesbian. So speaking <laughs> of my, my fiance who loves the word. And May works it into conversation wherever she can. So, <laughs> and you know, I, not only do I love her, but I love that, that she does yeah. that because I think, absolutely. And I, I feel the same way now. I also, you know, work it into the conversation whenever I well, can do, you know. And also for, for my partner, you know, she came out, you know, 40 years ago and yeah. got a lot of rejection and, yeah. and the people who became her family were the lesbian women that she surrounded herself with. So they were like a lot of people in the queer community, they were her family when she didn't have any family. And so she really, and, and I always joke about, Ta, Ta, her name is Tanda. I always joke that she, you know, she gave me the crash course in being a lesbian, yeah. but not, not uh, you know, yeah, the sex part, but <laughs> also too, because, um, she challenged my internalized homophobia right. all the time. And that to me, it and, and it really made me, I think, move along quicker a lot of ways because she challenged me when I showed up and said something homophobic or, you know, nothing like horrible, but, you know, just like, just something that's been ingrained, you know? And she really made me feel good about being a lesbian and embracing that word. So um, I like that word. I use queer as well. Um, because, but I, I love that word too. And so I use that one as well. And, yeah. you know, it's really, it's really interesting watching people try on all the different labels and, yeah. and then sometimes it becomes even it's for some people ends up becoming about gender as well, or was gender. And so all kinds of labels out there. Yeah. And, and we, you know, another thing Andrea said, I remember she wrote something on a post a long time ago, you know, like four or five years ago when we were someone was talking about labels and she said, you know, we use labels all the time. You know, mother is a label, sister, friend, wife, daughter, you know, those are all labels that we use. And so, yeah. you know, so it's, I, it's a really great discussion and it will be uh, never ending. <laughs> I was gonna say, it'll never end. And that is okay because yeah. words, words have power. And I just love watching people own their power with those labels. Mm -hmm. to do that so I just think it's it can be transformative so so the last question I'd like to talk about is that a lot of times I think people are really afraid to let go of their straight lives because they're worried that 
am I going to find love ever again? And how would you answer that? <laughs> I mean, I can't guarantee anything. <laughs> but what I can say is I really do feel like if you are authentic to yourself, if you are worried less about caretaking other people, if you're more worried about, or not worried, but you're more focused on yourself and making yourself the best person you can be, that you're going to attract whoever that person is for mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, that is also kind of has different levels, you know, because it can be scary to put yourself out there. It can be scary as someone coming out later in life. You know, we got that question all the time in the group. Am I going to be accepted? Are they going to think I'm real? Or are they going to think I'm just playing or joking around and I'm not a real lesbian, you know, and, you know, we can't say how people are going to respond to you, but I really do believe if you show up with your full whole self and you feel good about that, that, um, you know, there's, yes, you will find, you will find what you're looking for if you're putting it out there. Well, and also, you know, getting back to the, what you were saying, um, no one can determine your label. <laughs> And, you know, so sometimes we will meet people out there that sort of rejecting and that's really more about them than about you. And Always the, only person, the, only per, the only person who can determine your label or your sexuality is you. And one thing I do want to say about the, so a lot of times, uh, especially those of us who were married when we start the coming out process or in a long-term relationship, um, a lot of times there is a breaking apart. And it feels at times like things are shattering, like, mm -hmm. oh my God, everything's falling apart. Mm -hmm. um, my partner gave me really good advice, which she got from a therapist <laughs> in 20 years ago. And she said, you're going to have all of this again. Yeah. So I, I remember like in the beginning when my ex-husband was having all our old friends over for dinner and they were, you know, a lot of times when people come out later in life, sometimes the straight friends will stay with the straight spouse. Doesn't happen to everybody, it happened to me. Um, and I was like pretty sad about all that stuff. And then I do have it again. Like Andrea and Rachel um, came over to my house for dinner a couple, you know, like a couple, four or five weeks ago and uh, along with other friends and um, you do have it all again. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it all comes back together yes. in different ways. Um, I always like to think of the Japanese bowl, you know, when the bowl cracks, yeah. it's Kaiyogi. I'm, I'm not going to say it. I, I'll say it wrong. It's the, it, it, it cracks and they put it back together with gold. Yeah. And I really think that a lot of times that the later in life journey, which is deeply spiritual as well as deeply of the earth, <laughs> um, you know, that a lot of times things get put back together oh, yeah. beautifully, you know, yeah. and so, and it just takes a while. That's, I think yeah. one of the things, a lot of us, a lot of people that we work with, you know, really want things to be linear and fast. And it's Again, overachievers, right? <laughs> and it's seriously, it's like, okay, point me in what direction to go and tell me where to get there, how to get there and where to get there. And I'll do it. And that's in the, for the, and for a lot of us who are like that, it's the first time in our, our lives, a lot of times where we have to really sit with yes. the grief and the loss and this unbelievable joy Yeah, absolutely. of discovering who we are sometimes when we're in our, you know, late twenties to 80s and it just 
that's the thing. A lot of times you and I, I, I think a lot of times I focus on the hard and I, sometimes I need to focus more on the joy because I'm a heck of a lot happier now. <laughs> Gosh, Amory, I tell people, and you've probably heard me say this before, that really and truly in my life, coming out was the catalyst for so much good stuff in my life. I was working in a job that was fine, but it wasn't great. You know, all it was fine, but it wasn't great. (laughs) Exactly. And now I, I mean, I sometimes look around at my life and I'm like, how am I living out literally my wildest dreams? Like, I don't even understand it sometimes. I don't understand that. I mean, I mean, I still sometimes I'm like, Hey, I'm waking up and I have a naked woman in my bed. <laughs> <laughs> like, how did this, like, I, I agree with you for me, as you know, you know, my story for me, it opened up so many things yeah. and that I, I just n- never expected. Yeah. And yeah. I, really do, yeah, I really do believe that in, in, in my case specifically, that it was that courage and bravery that I had to kind of muster up to come out. That was then I was able to kind of transfer that into other parts of my lives and I was life and I was able to, you know, quit my job and start my own company and nobody in my family is self-employed. I mean, you know, I didn't even know how to do that, but I had to kind of have a little spot to make it happen. And I don't think I would have done that if I hadn't have come out. I know I wouldn't have met Rachel if I obviously if I hadn't have come out, but, you know, just been able to take that chance with somebody and want to build something um, that was wonderful and long lasting and, and to work on myself, to make myself a better human, to bring to the table in all of these cases, you know? Well, and I agree with you. I do think after you do this, what, what, whatever, (laughs) you know, I mean, like, I agree with you. I agree with you a hundred percent. Once you muster up the courage and you make the necessary changes in your life to live as authentically as you possibly can, all the other stuff just happens. Yeah. It's not a piece of cake. I mean, things still are hard sometimes, but you're like, okay, well, I'm going to try this. I'll try this to do this. And I was like, you, you know, I moved down South and was a chaplain for years in the North and then moved down South and just, just knew I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. I just couldn't because I'm a pretty, as you know, very progressive and it was hard for me down here. So I was like, I can't, I, hear you. <laughs> I cannot do this anymore. So yeah. then I ended up doing something that to me, um, it's really one of those things. And I, and I think you as well understand this working as a doula, um, you and I are both uh, uh, midwives of births in a way. Yes, we are. And we, you know, that's what we do. And um, it, it just has brought up so much positive energy and goodness in into my into our lives you know and I really and getting that that's the courage it's the you know I say this to people all the time the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step and so what can you do today yeah just take that one step yeah yeah and that's it you can't think of the whole big thing because you will that will just put you right back in the closet it'll put you freeze it'll freeze you yeah. Because if you start, oh my God, I got to do this. I got to do that. How am I going to yeah. do this? How many, you don't, don't. Yeah. So yeah. I think for Pride Month, if you're like in the closet or you're thinking about coming out, maybe get a nice shirt from Target. <laughs> That's maybe. where I got my cool stuff from. Was from yeah, Target. I bought stuff. I have a nice welcome mat I bought. Nice. Um, you know, get maybe a, a very a pride rate, a rainbow bracelet just do something for yourself that just says hey i'm here i'm queer get used to it yeah. you know? 
So, I'm with and, you, Mary. Yeah. yeah. So Andrea, Andrea, when you like look back on your life and I want to ask you, like you've, you, I know you're a reader. So anything that really stands out as a book that you would recommend for people who yeah. are making a transitional transformation change? Yes. Well, I picked two because I can hardly pick one because I love to read so much. So I actually have, I showed you one, but I have two. One is one of my favorite authors. Her, her name is Pema, I think is how you pronounce it, Chadron. Uh, yeah. This is the, the places that scare you. And the other one is called When Things Fall Apart. That is a and yeah, When Things Fall Apart and this one both were like really just, you know, touchstone text for me when I was getting divorced the first time. And then I came returned back to them um, when uh, I was getting divorced and coming out the second time. And it really just gave me a framework to kind of deal with all these feelings, like you mentioned, the grief mm -hmm. and the fear and, you know, all of that, the anxiety, um, you know, she is obviously coming from a Buddhist standpoint, so mm -hmm. that may or may not resonate with folks, but, you know, um, I'm a, a huge fan of all of her work. Um, it's been when so things, transformational to me. When things fall apart should be a must read for every 22 year old in the country. Because it's things fall apart story. all the time. Exactly. Things are going to fall apart, you know, and I love it. And then the other one is Philip Moffat's Emotional Chaos to Clarity. So it doesn't have, it has a cute like title, but it doesn't have a very like, I mean, a cute picture, it doesn't have a very sexy title but it is uh the subtitle is move from the chaos of the reactive mind to the clarity of the responsive mind and again it just kind of like delves into a little bit more um of sort of really like putting some of those buddhist principles into action and i have read this book i was telling Anne marie before we started taping i think i've read this book like four times and i'm about to read it for the fifth time because i always gain more clarity around my life um, and something that, you know, I struggle with is being reactive and learning how to be responsive versus reactive has been like a game changer for me. So that book is really important to me. Yeah, I, I struggle. I am the same way. I mean, it's ACOA, adult child of an alcoholic. And, and it's when you, it's when you fail and well, not fail, but when you're reactive, that's really, that's hard. Yeah. It sort of makes you feel like, <laughs> but you know, that's the nice thing is being able to forgive yourself. And like you said, that's, I think that's part of the whole being kind to yourself is learning how to go, you know what? I messed up. Okay. Let me pick myself back up. How am I going to do better next time? What are my triggers? What are the tools I have? How can I use the tools? I mean, I had something happen to me just yesterday with, with a family member and I had to go through it all again. That's why I'm rereading the book again, <laughs> you know, just to remind myself that, hey, I do have these tools and these things can be helpful. And I really love sort of the way um, this book uh, is sort of structured. It's kind of structured in a way where you can kind of work through it methodically. And again, that kind of like hits my sort of mind that likes things in little chunks that are like doable. I'm going to read that book because that looks really good. Yeah. yeah. That looks like a great book. I'm a huge so, fan. Did you have a coming out song? I did. So my coming out song, rest in peace, George Michael is Freedom by George oh, Michael. Oh, <laughs> I love that song. It's so wonderful. I mean, it's just, I, I'll start crying if I start thinking about it. But every time I play that, I love it. It's, it's a joyful song, right? It It is a sad song. In some ways, there's little bittersweet moments in the song. But overall, the, the, the sound and the beat, and you know I love to dance, is very, like, joyful and, like, mm -hmm. you know, freedom you know so that that's a great that, song yeah that's, that's I wish I could sample the songs on this but, that's <laughs> but anyway that's it's a right. wonderful song um, what's the best thing about your life today what is the best thing about my life today 
I, I mean, you know, I want to say my wife, cause she's like literally my rock. She's an amazing human. Being. She is. And she, I learn things from her literally daily. I always tell people she's who I want to be when I grow up. Um, I learn from her all the time. We have such complementary personalities, but very different personalities. You are so, guys are different. We know this. We're really different in a lot of ways, but, but I learned so much from her and I just, she's just, again, she's one of my role models. So she's definitely a best thing in my life, but you know, Amory, I think the best thing in my life is that I can sit and look around my life and look at what I've done and go, you know what? I did this. You, you did know? do this. I did you this. I'm really proud of you. Yeah. And I, and I really am. And I think, you know, to, to, again, kind of role model for other people, you know, it's, it's been hard for me to take mm -hmm. care of myself and to do that. I am such a, you know, like you mentioned, caretaker, overachiever, adult children, all that kind of That's stuff, that. all that stuff hits me, but, you know, to be able to stop sometimes and just be quiet and go, Hey, you done good kid. Uh, it's something I never thought I could have done, you know, a long time ago, because it was always about striving, striving, striving more, 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 better, 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 you know, so and you've done wonderful. Oh, you've you. done, you know, it was so funny. So I'm going <laughs> to share this story at the end. So we had a dinner party because things mm -hmm. go back together yeah. uh, a couple weeks ago. And um, so Andrea was there with Rachel. I was there with my partner, Tonda, and then Cindy and Janine were there, which are friends of ours from mm -hmm. now that we all know. And the funny thing about being the small lesbian community <laughs> that it is, <laughs> Cindy introduced Rachel and Andrea. Right. And because Tonda knew Andrea, mm -hmm. she met me. Yes. Yeah, so I basically introduced you Tonda. Yes. yes. Cindy introduced me and Rachel. Yes. Yes. So <laughs> I, I'm going to just end this conversation today on wise advice that Andrea gave my partner, Tonda, a very long time ago. And Tonda was being who she is and in the group was texting Andrea. And this was very long, long time ago. And yeah. she said, um, she said, is it okay? He goes, she goes, oh, who is this Anne-Marie? Is it okay if I put her in bed with me? <laughs> and, and, and she's actually found the text. And oh, that's awesome. I put, and put it up. And, and Andrea answered, she goes, I don't know, you two are going to have to work that one out. <laughs> uh, at that and, point, and we did. I know, but it's so funny because at that point, you were not the first people to have done this in the yeah. group. And I was just like, y'all are all grown ups. Y'all work this out. You like, don't need my don't permission. Involve don't involve me. <laughs> you don't need my permission, whether you date somebody or not. Don't care. I'm like, go in peace. Enjoy. <laughs> well, thank you, Andrea, for joining me today. It's been wonderful talking to you and catching oh. up. And, and thank you for all your wisdom. And really, you and Rachel have changed so many women's lives yeah. by being people's lives, by being a safe space in some place they could go to. Uh, when they thought they were the only ones and you did that for me and I know you've done that for thousands of other women oh well that just gives me chills Amory. thank you so much well as I always said to people we created that space and 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 all that but it was the people who came who really dedicated their own you know selves to that space and showed up as themselves that's what made it special mm -hmm. and magical mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. so I, I will always hold all of that, like very dear to my heart. And, um, and again, like I always said, I hope 
like you're doing and other people. I hope other people will kind of take up that cause and continue on. Mm -hmm. And as you know, we hope one day we won't need to have these spaces because everyone will just be able to come out when they need to. So, and be supported. That's one day. One day. One day. We'll be long dead, but okay. I know. But I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to hold on to it. <laughs> oh, well, now you've just opened up a whole other chapter of conversation, but we can't have that now. So anyway. Have me back on. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank you. Bye -bye. All right. Take care. Bye.